Amen. Thank you, Faith. Paul. I hope that we all can say that this morning, that God's grace continues to amaze us. It should continue to amaze us, that we should be in awe of not only who God is, but what He has done for us. That we have received grace upon grace, the favor of God. And it's not that any of us can say, well, we deserve it, or we earned it, but it's truly the favor of God unmerited favor. Well, Moses himself received grace and asked for grace. So even this morning, uh, that song was perfect with the message. Charlie's reading is perfect with the message this morning. As we look more into the life of Moses, as we've been going through Exodus, I did a lot of preparation this week trying to preach several chapters at once. Uh, I don't know if that was a good idea, but we're Hope I don't sound like an auctioneer this morning. But uh, as we continue to look at the book of Exodus, we see what God had done, not just through a people, a people that he has called out, Israel, but through a man, a man in particular, Moses, who received grace upon grace. As we think about the story of Exodus, we see what God had did uh, through Israel, and we saw what he did to Pharaoh. And why did he do all of these things? We see clearly in uh, the, the plagues so that others might know, number one, who God is. And that his power and his name might be proclaimed throughout all of the earth. So we are reminded this morning that God's fame, his glory, his greatness is not just being made known in Alabama, but it's being made known throughout all of the earth. So this morning, we are going to look more at uh, the story of the Exodus, the second book in your Bible. Turn with me if there. Also, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're, going, we're not going to read Exodus 33 through 40 this morning. That might surprise you, but we're not going to read every one of those chapters but Moses, the, the baby who was drawn from water and who delivered the Israelites through water, now leads the Israelites to wander. They are wandering through the wilderness. Moses was called out by God to lead the people of God, and that was one job description that I would not want to have is Moses' job, leading a people who were stubborn and stiff-necked and, and uh, didn't want to listen. But Moses knew the plans of God. He knew the promises of God. He knew the covenant that was made with his people. And so he continued on, continued to lead the people. And let's do a quick rehash of last week in Exodus 32. Remember last week, the people, they went their own way. Moses was gone temporarily. And so now they they decide to do things their way. They call upon Aaron um, to build a idol for them. And he goes right along with it. And he asks them for their gold, and he throws the gold into the fire. And remember last week, Aaron was explaining it to Moses, and Aaron says, I, I don't know what happened. You know, they gave me the gold, I threw it in the fire, and out came this God. He knew exactly what had happened, because he was leading the people in rebellion. So let's look at uh, Exodus 32 from 1 Corinthians' perspective. I love when the Testaments tie together, and we see Old Testament stories uh, pointing us to Christ through a New Testament lens. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
Uh, as you can see this morning, uh, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty. Sometimes people say the words are too small, and so uh, we uh, we didn't increase them like that on purpose. And so make sure you have your copy of God's Word in front of you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we are going to uh, read of what Paul says about this idolatry in the Old Testament. Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all baptized through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all ate drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore I tell, I, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I pray that we will remember what your word had spoken to us last week. Father, I pray that we will see the folly, the foolishness of idolatry where we are clinging to idols that are useless. So Lord, we are not building golden calves, but Lord, I pray that we will turn from any idol that seeks uh, our attention, that turns our attention away from you. Father, you are the one we are to worship this morning. So, Father, as we continue in the book of Exodus, let us remember that you are holy, righteous, and just. And, Father, let us also remember that you are gracious and merciful. So, Lord, teach us your ways. And, Father, I thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are with us this morning. Lord, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a quick recap of Exodus 32 we saw that they were clinging to idols. And Paul tells us to flee from idolatry. And as they cling to their idols, remember at the end of 32, God gave them mercy uh, for the journey. And God gave them mercy um, as he told them that they, he would allow them to live. He would give them mercy for the journey. And the, the, the journey is where we pick up now in Exodus 33. We're not, like again, like I said, we're just going to pick bits and pieces to go through as we go through these chapters. But in chapter 33, the journey continues with some good news and some bad news. What do I mean by that? The people were allowed to continue their journey towards the promised land. So that is the good news. But the bad news is they wouldn't have the presence of God with them. 
So there is consequence, consequences for their sin. This is a result of their idolatry, a result of their stubbornness and their uh, obstinate ways. And then in verse 6, look with me in Exodus 33, verse 6. As the people continue on, God says that he would not consume them. His wrath would not be poured out upon them. The people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Oreb onward. Some have said this is kind of the uh, dust and, and uh, sackcloth of repentance, of realizing that they must pull these garments, the jewelry, off of themselves. And so they recognized of their foolishness, their folly, and their idolatry. And so now they strip themselves of their jewelry, of their of the ornaments that were around them. This is a sign of the sorrow for their sin. They realized that they had sinned against the holy God. The people didn't have the presence of God with them. So where would they find God? Where would the people find God? We'll see here in this section, through the tent of meeting. In uh, in uh, Exodus 33, it speaks of the tent of meeting where God had appointed a place specifically for Moses to go and to meet with him. And it says Moses met with God and he spoke with God as a man speaks to his friend. So again, Moses had a special relationship with God and God spoke to him. Moses listens and he relays all the commands of the Lord. And in the second half of the chapter, of chapter 33, I want us to see this special relationship that Moses has and I want us to see that we too have a special relationship with God because of Christ. And look at the way Moses prays. Exodus 33 verses 16 through 19. Love to hear those pages turn. It's good that we have our copy of God's Word in front of us. In Exodus 33, verse 16, listen to how Moses prays. He says, How shall it be known that I have found favor, that is the grace of God, in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. So Moses prays with boldness. Moses prays with confidence because he knows God. He knows the promises of God. He knows the covenant he has he has made with the people of God. What does Moses say about the people of God? Who, who, who does he say that they are? He says, these are your people. These are your treasure possession. And I'm leading them, and so won't you go with us? Won't you be our God? And so Moses prays, and he pleads with, the God, with God, and he says, show me now your ways. Why does he want to know God's ways? Because he knows God is good. He knows God is good. He knows God's power. He's seen God's power through the Exodus, through the parting of the Red Sea. And so he wants God to go with them. So he prays. He says, show me your ways. Show me your grace. Show me your favor. Consider, too, that this nation 
is your people. He knows that the people of God are powerless apart from the presence of God. This is why he pleads for the Lord. I love this section because he prays with confidence. And even after he prays for God's favor, he asks for one more thing. After he says, go with us, show me your favor, he prays for one more thing. What's that one more thing? Please show me your glory. Reveal your holiness to me. Reveal your presence to me. He knows the power, the wonder of God. Paul did as well in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 9, we see this very thing. In Romans 9, Moses, uh, Paul says to Moses, or Paul says, speaking of Moses, that would be a, a, an interesting conversation. But Paul says, speaking of Moses, quoting Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So Paul understood the mercy of God, just as Moses understood the mercy of God. And Moses asked to know God and to see his glory. Well, God responds. God responds to Moses' request. What does God say? God says he will show Moses a glimpse of his glory, but he could not show it, show himself to him fully or he would die. Again, God is God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. We are not. So God says, this is for your good, lest you die. So he says, I will grant your request. It was kind of a yes and no answer. I will show you a glimpse of my glory. So God tells Moses that he would reveal his goodness, glory, and grace. Look with me again in the the chapter, Exodus 33. After he asked to see his glory, Moses or God says, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So again, we see the holiness of God. We see the glory of God on display here for us. And I love what Philip Ryken says. He says, as Moses is placed in the cleft of the rock, Moses is protected from God by God. So God is protecting his people as he's revealing himself to Moses. And Moses would again turn and share God's glory and his commands to the people. And because of God's grace, again, Moses has received God's grace. Because of God's grace, what does Moses do? He worships God. He worships God. He glorifies God. Moses has experienced the grace of God. He's, he has um, seen the face of, or um, he's experienced the favor of God. This is why he seeks the face of God. Do you know God as Moses did? If you know God, you will seek him. You will seek him. You will pray to him. You will want to know him. This is why I love Psalm 27 verse 4. Psalm 27 verse 4 says this, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So to know God, to gaze upon him, this is what Moses wants. 
Do you long to see God's glory? Do you long to see God's glory displayed in the lives of unbelievers? It can't, apart from the revelation of Jesus Christ. But do you long to see God's glory in your family, in your neighborhood, and amongst the nations? Moses knew the power of God. He longed for the presence of God. He longed to see God. We should as well. Look with me as we continue in Exodus 34. Now we see Moses making new tablets. What happened to the old tablets? They are broken. He saw the idolatry of the people. He threw them down, was angry with the people, rightfully so. Now there's new tablets, and, and Moses comes down the mountain. The Lord is with Moses, and the Lord speaks to Moses yet again. And look at this, this mini-sermon from God, from the Lord, as he proclaims a sermon like no other. In Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8, this is a hopeful proclamation. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8, it says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is a hopeful proclamation. As we see here, God revealing to us these truths, I encourage you to study and to meditate and even memorize this mini-sermon here as God is revealing several things to us here. What is He revealing? He's revealing His name. God is revealing His name to us And not only that, he's revealing his nature to us. What do we see here in this passage? We see that he is loving and loyal. We see he is faithful and forgiving. And we see that he is merciful and mighty. We see all these wonderful things in this passage. We see these seven attributes that reveal God's nature, how he relates to Israel, and how he will relate to the other nations that he has made. So we see a hopeful proclamation here to Moses and to the people. And then at the end of this chapter, there's much we could say about this chapter, but at the end of this chapter, we see a remarkable section of Moses displaying God's glory. Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets in his hand, but this time it's different. Why is it different this time? There's no idolatry going on. There's no uh, pagan worship going on, but the people are in awe of Moses. They're looking to Moses instead of their idol this time, but they're afraid to approach him because his face shone brightly. This is one of those sections where it's just like, man, wish I could be there. Wish I could see what was going on. What was Moses' face like? Was he like a light bright? Was he like the radioactive man? I mean, what did Moses' face look like? We don't know what his face looked like, but this we do know. He was a changed man. Why was he changed? What was so different? He was with God. He was with God. This is why he was changed. Every time he talked with God, he was changed. I don't want to oversimplify this, but we should too be changed. 
when we talk with God, when we are with God, we should be changed. Moses calls Aaron and the leaders to come to him so that he could speak with them. You know, they're probably thinking, okay, uh, you know, taking one mini step at a time, we're, we're coming, you know, afraid of what's going on because this guy, his face is shining brightly. But as they finally approach Moses, Moses gives them the commands that he's received. He gives them the commands he's received, and after speaking with them, he puts a veil back over his face. Again, Moses was called out to be the holy servant of God, revealing the holy commands of God to the people. And these are some of the commands in in chapter 35. Moses gives instructions to the people regarding the Sabbath, regarding the sacrificial giving, and how to serve the Lord. Look with me at Exodus 35, verses 20 and 22. Moses tells them what to make, what to do, and how to serve. And look at the difference now in Exodus 35, 20, versus what we saw last week in Exodus 32. In Exodus 35, it says, The congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses... Whenever Moses departed last time, they were ready to sin. But this time, they're ready to serve. It says, they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service and the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. I mean, they kept bringing more and more. Finally, Moses had to say, stop. So look at the contrast here. Now they're bringing gold. Last week in Exodus 32, they were taking gold as well. Last week, they were ready to to build an idol as they were so greedy. This week, they bring their gold to serve the Lord. There's a great contrast here as they're ready to serve the Lord. There's no longer greed Instead, we see the work of God. We find willing hearts. In, ex, in, in verse 29, look with me in verse 29 of the chapter, the last verse, or I'm sorry, uh, towards the end of the chapter. It says, All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. They were ready to give, ready to give sacrificially because their heart had been stirred, because they were commanded, not because they were commanded they had to give, but because they delighted in giving. In Exodus 36, as we continue on, we see the construction of the temple, Bezalel and Oholiab. We have talked about these guys before. These are these skilled, excellent craftsmen chosen to do the work of the Lord. And there's other craftsmen as well. But these craftsmen are called for the special project and they receive their instruction from Moses, and the construction is done with precision. Whether it's the curtains, the covering, or the clasps, they're all making these things with the utmost care. The Israelites are constructing again, but this time they use their skills to honor the Lord. Honestly, as I was reading chapter 36, 37, 38, and 39, you can kind of get lost in all the details. You know, they're building this, they're doing this, uh, the craftsmen are doing these things. But the point here is they're doing all these things to honor the Lord. 
They're doing all these things to obey the Lord. Thirty Chapter 32, there was disobedience. But now they're obeying God with the skills that God had given them. This past week, I was doing a, a Bible study with uh, Nancy and Ryan and Zach, and we were looking at Genesis chapter 1. You could do a Bible study on Genesis 1, 2, and 3 for a year. Well, probably longer than that. There is so much in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. But one of the things we were talking about in Genesis 1 is that we were created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. You and I were made in the image of God. And what does that mean? We were made as moral creatures, and we were made with creativity. We were made to build, to write, to create, and more, all for the glory of God. So here, this is what we see in chapters 35 and 36 and so on, that they're putting their crafts, they're putting their skills to work as they are honoring and obeying God. In chapter 37, again, there's more items that are built. There's the, ta- the, the table, the lamp, the stand, and the altar of incense. You might have noticed, but there's some visual aids here at the front. I'm sure you did. Um, in fact, I had them in here this past week, uh, starting Wednesday on. And at times when I go over to the fellowship hall to get coffee or something, um, you know, I don't turn the lights in here when, on whenever I come in here. I just go back and forth because it's daytime. There's a couple times I come back in here and get startled by the high priest there thinking somebody was up here in the sanctuary. But uh, finally I got used to it on Friday. But uh, here we have an altar of incense or a replica. And here we have a replica of the high priest. And this altar of incense was mentioned here in chapter 36 as Aaron was instructed to burn incense upon an altar, somewhat similar to this, for the purpose of making an offering to the Lord, for the purpose of worship. Now, we as the people of God no longer burn incense as an offering. Our lives are an offering. Our lives are a living sacrifice. This doesn't mean that we atone for our sins, but it does mean that our lives are in total submission to Jesus. Well, what else does Moses command the people to build? We have the altar of incense, the uh, altar of burnt offering, a bronze basin, and the court that surrounded the tabernacle. The materials here in chapter 38 show us the expense, the sacrifice, and the dedication to carry out the commands of the Lord. And then in chapter 39, we get to our high priest here. Our high priest, we see all of the the garments, all of the detail, all of the skill that it took to make this clothing that was made holy, it was skillfully woven and beautifully designed. The cloth was made of fine linen. The breast piece had precious stones set in four rows. And we see that replicated here. And nothing was similar to these clothes that the high priest was set apart to do the work of God. There was a turban and undergarments of fine linen and yarn that was embroidered with intricate needlework. But from the garments to the turban to the tabernacle, again, there was one purpose. And we see it in chapter 39, verse 30. What was the purpose of all of this? Chapter 39, verse 30, 
says they made the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. It was all so that God might be glorified. Obviously, the high priest's clothing is impressive and would have been expensive, but it gives us perspective of who the high priest was and what he was to do. He was to minister on behalf of the people. The high priest himself had to be whole physically, but he also had to be holy in his conduct. He ministered on behalf of God's people. He spoke on behalf of God. He ministered um, there in the tabernacle. He made sacrifices for his own sins and the sins of the people so that they might not be defiled. And we see the high priest called out to serve in a holy way. And we know that the high priests, as Charlie has spoken of, and as we sang of, that the high priests point us to the final high priest who has come, who is Jesus. He is the last high priest, and he would make the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the people. He alone can atone for our sins, because he alone is perfect. Jesus, the man sent from God, did all that God required. Let us see what else God required in the last chapter, chapter 40. In chapter 40, we see more requirements for the people, and it reminds us again of the glory of God. In chapter 40, Moses tells them, now that you have made the tabernacle, now you must put it in its proper place. The tabernacle and all the things that were inside, including the the testimony and the other items, were put in its proper place so that the people might worship God. And this points to God's faithfulness. The tabernacle was set apart through anointing oil as a special place. You see this here in verse 9, that anointing oil was used for the tabernacle. It was set apart. There are so many descriptive details in chapter 40. We won't go through all of these this morning, but it's important to remind us the construction of the of the tabernacle was according to the exact commands of the Lord. Look with me in verse 33 of chapter 40. It says, He erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. So Moses completed the commands that God had given him to do. And then look with, look with me at the last section, verses 34 through 38. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. Amen. So this concludes the book of Exodus. 
we see here at the end, just at the beginning, the glory of God, the glory of the Lord being revealed, being poured out upon the people. And the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle in a mysterious and a majestic way. It fills, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle and the cloud settles on the top of the tent of meeting to signify God's presence with his people. The cloud sent from heaven gave the people direction. It's time to stay or it's time to go. But also the cloud was their connection to God. Moses would learn of another connection, a divine one, later on in Scripture. As we close, I want us to look at a phenomenal passage in Luke chapter 9. Luke 9. Turn with me. You thought we were done. Luke 9. This is a wonderful passage that correlates what we saw here in Exodus 40. In Luke 9, we see Moses see the glory of God. God reveals himself to Moses and to Elijah. And this passage is somewhat confusing if you don't have a proper Old Testament context to place it in. But Moses, who asked to see God's glory, asked to see God's face, now he does. Look at this wonderful passage, Luke 9, beginning in verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he, that is Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, or exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents or tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is remarkable. This is an amazing passage, especially in light of what we just read in Exodus, that the cloud descends and that it covers them. And Moses is there and he sees it all. And in fact, not only does Moses see the glory of God, he speaks with God, just as Moses spoke with God in the Old Testament, as a man speaks with his friend. So he's speaking with Jesus. And what are they speaking of? As Jesus often spoke, of what was about to take place, his departure, his exodus, the grand exodus, as he would go to the cross. So he speaks of these things with Moses, with Elijah, and then Peter comes to. He was sleeping. My kids probably said, that's what I would have been doing, because I can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. But he was sleeping, he awakes, and uh You know, probably wanting to sound astute, he says, 
to Jesus. It, it's good that we are here. You know, arouses. It's good that we are here. Moses, Elijah, thing. Yeah, it's it's good. That's right, Peter. It's good that we are here. But then Peter says, "Let us make three tents or tabernacles." You know, he's probably thinking, "I'm gonna polish off my Old Testament knowledge here in history. Let's let's make some tents or tabernacles. We need the tent of meeting. Three, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, uh, Elijah, and one for Moses." And what does the text says? He doesn't even know what he's saying. And then someone else speaks. Who is it? God, the Father. The Father says, Peter, let me tell you what you need to do. He says, this is my son, the one who is with you, my chosen one, my beloved one. Just like in Deuteronomy 18, listen to him. The Israelites were to listen to Moses but now Moses wasn't the final priest. He wasn't the final prophet. We have the final priest. We have the final prophet. He is before us, and that's why the Father says, listen to him. He's here. He is amongst us. Listen to him isn't just listen to his words. It is believe in him, submit to him, follow him. This is the passage that Moses was pointing to, and he didn't even know it. This is an amazing passage. There's no need to fear. Just like whenever Moses came and his face was transfigured and the people were afraid and now the people are afraid here in the transfiguration, there's no need to fear. He is here. Perfection has been provided. Salvation is a reality. We don't have to build tents or tabernacle because the one who tabernacled amongst us is here. He has come full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory, glory from the Father that reveals the Father. This is why we say, I know Brother Jim loves this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. You have revealed your glory through the Son. So do you see the glory of God? How can you? Only truly, only truly by being born again. God must bring light to what is dark. Our souls are dark apart from the light of the glory of God. And it's only by God's work that we can see the glory of God. The Bible is all about the glory of God. God does everything from eternity to eternity for his own glory. Even as Stephen Herschel read earlier as Jesus prayed, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So it's all about the glory of God from eternity to eternity. So we see here that there is a hopeful proclamation throughout the Exodus, specifically in Exodus 34. But this is a hopeful hopeful proclamation that is for every nation. John Piper says, God does everything he does to lift up his beauty and his magnificence for people to see and to love and to enjoy. For people to see and to love and to enjoy. All peoples, all tribes, and all nations. 
And as I close, I know I said that way, way too early. But uh, let me close with Luke chapter 24. My, one of my favorite passages, Luke 24. We see all peoples can see and know the glory of God because of Christ. Christ has come to fulfill what God has planned long ago. In Luke 24, it says, Then he said to them, these are my words, Jesus speaking to the, to the men on the, on the road to Emmaus. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You here, you are here this morning as witnesses of what God has revealed. God has revealed his plan to us, and he has revealed his plan to us specifically through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let us honor him. Let us glorify him by submitting our lives to him. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you and praise you for this time together. Lord, as we quickly looked at your word through the book of Exodus, Father, I pray that you will teach us that your glory is not just a theological truth, but Father, it is a living truth as we see your greatness, your value, your worth on display through your word through your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, even as Paul saying earlier, your grace still amazes me. Lord, I pray that we will be amazed at what you have done and what you are still doing. Just as my father-in-law spoke on Friday, the Spirit is still active. The Spirit still brings life. So, Father, won't you draw sinners unto yourself? Lord, I pray that we will be zealous to see the glory of God in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our friends, in our communities, and amongst the nations. So, Father, if we see the glory of God, we will proclaim the glory of God by proclaiming Christ. We don't proclaim ourselves. That would be foolish and useless. But, Lord, we proclaim Christ and Him crucified. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will continue as a church to exalt Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who hears my voice, understands their own sin. Lord, I pray that they will turn to Your Son, Jesus Christ, that they will cling to the cross, because it's through the cross we find forgiveness and grace favor that we do not deserve. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.